Today, wrapping up Beatitudes, um, we have been speaking about this since the beginning of September, and so we've talked about quite a few things, so there's no way that I would be able to summarize all the things that we've talked about, but in case you don't know what Beatitudes means, it means blessed, and Beatitudes, uh, the Beatitudes are the things that Jesus talked about in what we call the Sermon on the Mount, which is the beginning of a sermon, sort of like his intro, all right, sort of like I'm introing the message today. The Beatitudes is sort of like Jesus' intro. And the thing about the Beatitudes is we like the word blessed, okay? Like all of you probably have some sort of, or a friend that's got something hanging in their living room, you know, I'm blessed. We say too blessed to be stressed a lot. We say all these, we use this word blessed a lot. And, and, and what we mean by that is typically happy, where we just want to be happy. And although there is some truth to the word being happy, it really speaks to being fulfilled at a deep level that's actually it, it, a happiness that it's, it supersedes your circumstances, all right? So like, like, you know, I'm happy today, I'm not happy tomorrow. What the word blessed is talking about here is something much deeper than that. It's a fulfillment that's not based on temporary circumstances. And so just to kind of define that word for us as we move forward in today, uh, he's talking about blessed. And the other very important thing that I want to say about the Beatitudes is this. This is Jesus explaining to his followers what an ideal Christian looks like. So you might have an idea of what it means to be a Christian. I might have an idea of what it means to be a Christian. We, we kind of define things in a lot of different ways. I love how Jesus sort of steps up and it's like, okay, this is what it looks like. So your opinion is, it has to, to come up underneath the things that Jesus are going to talk about. Now here's the deal. As this sermon continues on, uh, not, not me, but the Sermon on the Mount, as Jesus' sermon continues, he really begins to define what it looks like to live as a believer in a lot of different ways. And next year, starting in February, we're going to continue walking through the Sermon on the Mount. So, uh, so you know, we're going to be kind of hanging here for a long time. Because if Jesus is explaining what it means to be a believer, I think that we should listen. I think that we should read, that we should really let it soak in. This is, this is Jesus, our master, and he's letting us know what it is to be a believer. So this means a lot. This matters a lot, and that's why we're taking so much time with it. But some of the things that we've talked about is that uh, where Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those that, that, that mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, blessed are the merciful, Talked about blessed are the pure in heart. We really talked about holiness a couple of weeks ago. And last week, we talked about blessed are the peacemakers. And, of course, we had Sean Lovejoy here. And, and Sean really leaned heavily into relational peace, how, how, you know, as peacemakers, we want to do our best to, to make peace with people. Not keep peace. Do you remember that? Like peacekeeping is really can kind of be like sweeping things under the rug or, or compromising. But peacemaking. But there's another uh, 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 kind of another perspective of that word that matters as well. And that's kind of what I want to say before we get into the last beatitude today, because it, it really ties in uh, closely. 
The, the verse that we read last week, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. That word peace is synonymous with reconciliation. And of course, we talked about reconciling things between people. And I think that we should do that, uh, obviously. We could talk about conflict resolution every single week of our lives. Did y'all know that? Like we heard a great message last week. We could hear the same message again today and we would be like, I need to hear that next week because I'm still struggling with that. You know, I mean, because we're, we're with people all the time, family, friends, and it's a big part of our life. But this word also means reconciliation with God. And that's probably, that, that's the primary goal of being a peacemaker is that we would be reconciled with God and that we, as we are reconciled with God, would also reconcile God with man. And the scripture says this in 2 Corinthians Verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So we have been given this responsibility to reconcile God with man, to carry this message, to carry the good news, the gospel of reconciliation. And that is something that we never graduate from. That's something that never gets old. That is something that as we have been redeemed, we want to see others redeemed, right? (laughs) Talk about conflict resolution again. I like that one. This is like the heartbeat of the Great Commission and the Great Commandment together, is that we love people. We love people, whether we like them or not. We love them because God loves us. We forgive them because God forgave us. And we also want to see them reconciled with God because we've been reconciled with God. But conflict is inevitable, and I think we need to understand this, that that conflict is, is inevitable. Jesus warned us about this many, many, many times. One is in Matthew chapter 10. He says, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. This is going to kind of throw a wrench in the whole conversation. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now, the reality is this. The gospel is very, very inclusive. The gospel is for all men. It, it got, that Jesus, by the, by the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus, it, the life and the work of Christ, God's redemptive work is available to all of us. However, at the same time, it's very exclusive in the fact that it's only by faith in Jesus that you access the benefits of that. Does that make sense? Okay, so there is no, I am a Christian just because I was born into a Christian family. That's actually not real Christianity. That's cultural. And our whole nation is really wrapped up in that. Like we're, a, you know, this, this whole, we're, we're a Christian, na- I was born in America, we're a Christian nation, so therefore I, I guess I'm just Christian. It's not the way it is. Okay, we've got to kind of pull the reins back on some of that kind of, the, the, those, those terms. But what happens in our families, it's the same thing. Some of you young people, you feel like because you were born into a Christian home that that means you're automatically a Christian. And that's not true. It's only by faith in Jesus, believing in Jesus that this takes place. So the exclusivity of the gospel, which a lot of people don't like to talk about, is true. And the the fact that that is the way that it is brings a sword to a lot of relationships. That's right. We we don't believe that all gods are the same. 
We don't believe that all routes lead to the same result. We don't believe that all religions are going to the same place. There is one way Jesus made that very clear, and it's the reason why people hated him. One of the reasons why people hated him. And so we as believers, we are in this, we are on this narrow road, this narrow way of believing, and we adhere to the teachings of Jesus. And whenever we do that, not everyone's going to be okay with that. Now we're going to talk about that here in a second, why that might be, but we have to realize that, that, that Jesus came to bring peace, wholeness, shalom to the world in regards to restoring what sin has, has destroyed but as far as everybody being happy about that, it's just not the way it is. And so sometimes whenever you follow Jesus, it means that you have to unfollow other people or they unfollow you. And you can take that from a social media aspect. That's one thing. But I mean, literally, like you just don't track in the same lane anymore, right? Because your belief has changed. And Jesus is like, don't be surprised by that. And we must understand that there is hostility towards disciples of Jesus. And that's where verse 10 comes in. And so we're going to wrap up the Beatitudes today. And, and unfortunately, it's, it's kind of a downer. <laughs> Jesus needed to take some, some sermon classes, okay? That way he would, he would kind of end his sermon or end this section of the sermon with, a, with like an, a, a lift. That way everybody could leave excited and happy. Instead, he's like, no, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Oh, I'm so glad all of you came today. <laughs> Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. As peacemakers, we are going to inevitably encounter persecution. And Jesus says, blessed are you, fulfilled are you whenever you encounter persecution. We got to break this down because this doesn't really match our understanding. You see, whenever we hunger and thirst after righteousness, like we talked about a few weeks ago, whenever we hunger and thirst after righteousness and we pursue holiness, eventually we're going to hit a wall with people or in, in different scenarios where persecution is inevitable. We will taste of, of, of painful persecution. But there's some things that persecution is not. Persecution is not someone just disagreeing with you. Okay? Church, just because somebody disagrees with you doesn't mean that you're encountering, you know, persecution. Um, just because somebody responds negatively to you doesn't mean that you're being persecuted. There's a spectrum to some of this, and we'll get into that. But, but, uh, but, but somebody asking you, asking you to respect their space, you know, it's not necessarily persecution. Somebody being mildly rude to you. you know, oh, well, it's just my cross to bear. Yeah, it's like, dude, they just asked you not to talk about that like, around them. It wasn't that bad. Sometimes we define things as persecution, and like, we need to kind of raise the threshold just a tad, okay? But let me tell you what persecution is. Persecution is harassment and suffering which people and institutions inflict upon others for being different in their faith, worldview, culture, or race. Persecution seeks to revile, defame, intimidate, silence, punish, or even to kill people. That's persecution. Now, persecution is not strictly a Christian word, by the way, or like uh, religious, okay? It's not like people are only persecuted for religious reasons. People are persecuted for all sorts of things. 
All sorts of different reasons. And Jesus is not talking about persecution also for your own sake. He says for righteousness sake, not for your own sake. Like there's a lot of causes out there. And people pick up causes. And do you know that people are persecuted for those causes? I mean, and there, there's, there's a lot of good causes. I mean, you might be someone that's, I mean, it, there's just a lot of good causes. Whether it's the trees or different things, you know, and, and there's good causes. <laughs> but they're not God causes. And so whenever you're persecuted for these other causes, maybe even for your own cause, that doesn't necessarily mean that you are being persecuted for Jesus, on, on Jesus' account, for righteousness' sake. Jesus is talking about being persecuted for righteousness' sake. And so what is righteousness' sake? Well, whenever we suffer for living for God, we are suffering for righteousness' sake. Whenever people revile us for righteousness' sake, whenever we stand for truth, whenever we stand in, in biblical truth and, and, and what we believe in, we stand in that and people revile us and, 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 and come against us. And nowadays, harassment is a big deal in a lot of different ways. But if we're talking specifically about Christianity and uh, having a biblical worldview, that is grounds for harassment now. I've said this many times, but at some point, and I don't know if it's going to be in my lifetime, I, th I think it will be, but at some point, for, for being in a room like this, in a public gathering, and reading the scripture, just reading the Bible, word for word, like, I believe that there's going to be times where tickets are given out, and possibly people are imprisoned for saying things that don't quite match culture's worldview. And... And so that, there's harassment, which is sort of like this canceling of people and all this kind of stuff. By the way, cancel culture is very, very nuanced too because um, what can happen is an environment could be so, there could be so much pressure in an environment that it can cause people to be just silent about what they think because they fear the rebuttals or they fear the, 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 the pushback of having that belief. And and, and, and that happens in a lot of different ways. But if we're talking about in, in regards to Christianity, whenever our culture has a certain feel, a certain environment that, that we don't want to truly say what we believe because we fear what men might say, that's the type of situation that, that it begins to cross over into harassment and eventually straight up persecution. I was talking to somebody this past week and I was like, I don't know that I've personally ever been in a conversation with someone that I actually just shared what I believe and do, they just let me have it. And I was talking to somebody and they said, well, I have. We're just simply sharing what I believed. I was harassed, like literally just attacked, not physically, but verbally, like ongoing. And so many of you, you might find yourself in that place today where you actually are being harassed or you're being silenced. Now, I think some people encounter persecution, and it's just because they're a jerk. And so I'm not really talking about you. I, I, like, honestly, if you don't love someone, and there's not grace, and there's not, like, you don't have compassion. Jesus, whenever he confronted people, he, he had compassion in his heart. It was not just this, like, let's go. Let's go. You disagree with me. Like, like, like let's, let's get it going. He... 
There was love. There was compassion. And many Christians, they believe in the truth, but the way that they talk about it is just really wrong. It's just really wrong. And so then they get harassed, and it's like, well, man, I mean, you walked out in the middle of the road with a big old sign that said, repent for the kingdom is coming. And you yelled at people and called them a bunch of names, and you're like, I'm preaching the gospel. I don't think you are. At least you're not representing it well, you know. But where do you find yourself in, that, in that, that place? What spectrum are you on? Do you truly have love in your heart whenever you talk to somebody about what you believe? Because sometimes the persecution we receive is not really about what we believe. It's just about how we said it. We've got to use wisdom. We've got to use wisdom there. But this thing of, of suffering uh, on, you know, for God is nothing new. The disciples that, that followed Jesus, the ones that actually knew him, that, that were close to him, most of them died really terrible deaths. They were boiled and beaten. And I mean, we got Paul. If you go read his story, he was in prison so many times. He was whipped. He endured so many things for righteousness sake. What's crazy about Paul is that he actually was the one doing the persecuting at one point. And Jesus confronts him on the, on the road, remember, and he and he's, and just renovated his whole life. And then he ends up being the one who was persecuted by those that he probably walked with at one point. Jesus transitioned his life. But we can read all throughout scripture, we can read all throughout history, where people have been beaten and imprisoned, mocked, harassed, forever. It's, it's, it's always been like that. And, to, and so we live in a time, honestly, in America especially, where it's been very easy Serving God has not really cost us that much. It really hasn't. And so what happens is there's a mixture of people who, because serving Jesus has never really cost them anything, they haven't been tested at a degree to see if their faith can endure that persecution or that harassment. And then whenever we get into a culture where there's pushback, a lot of people, their faith is not strong enough to withstand those moments. And so that's where compromise comes in. Because not everybody is wanting to let go completely of the gospel. But they just kind of want to chill it out a little bit. Right? They just kind of want to chill it out to, to match what's going on in culture. Unfortunately, we just don't have that option. We don't have that option. In 2021, opendoorsusa.org said this. Because a lot of times we think of persecution as being something that's kind of done. But over 340 million Christians, one in eight, are living in places where they experience high levels of persecution and discrimination. 4,761 Christians were killed for their faith. 4,488 churches and other Christian buildings were attacked. 4,277 believers detained without trial. They were arrested, sentenced, or imprisoned for their faith. For their faith. That was this year. So it wasn't just like Fox's Book of Martyrs, or this wasn't just something that happened, you know, 900 years ago, or not biblical times. People today. But a lot of times we're insulated from those, those things. We're insulated from them. And so we begin to think that the things that we're experiencing are horrible, but in comparison, it's really not that bad. Y'all agree with me? It's really not. And so... I think Jesus said these things, not that every single day we would encounter them, but to let us know that when it comes, we should not be surprised. We should not be surprised. Culture 
worldly culture is going to continue to devolve and, and move toward unholiness. It's always been like that. It's continued. And we have times where we have good seasons. And I would say this, and in, in, in the world right now, this is actually one of the best times, if not the best time to be alive. From a medical standpoint, come on, y'all. I'm so thankful for painkillers. You know what I'm saying? I'm thankful that they can put you to sleep when they, they do surgery. They got to reset that bone. Apparently, sometimes they just do it and they don't really give you much. But anyway, that you, whenever you go under, you get surgery, right? I mean, it's, it's, good, it's good things. We're really in a good time in a lot of different ways. But we can take those times for granted. And Jesus is like, keep your eyes open. Keep your eyes open. We are blessed whenever we experience suffering because we are so committed to living a life that pleases God. I think that we need to begin to look at those times that we are harassed and people come against us and actually say, man, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I have a question. Do you guys ever think about what we're talking about today? Do you guys ever think about being, like, in the last month, how many of you have actually thought about persecution, your persecution in, in, to you or persecution in the world around us? How many? A few of you. And that's not like to condemn anybody like, oh, you should have been thinking about, you know, persecution. But what does it say about our awareness of what we're believing in and the cost of it? We get lulled to sleep, y'all. We get lulled to sleep. And so whenever that harassment comes, we try to run from harassment. We try to run from these things whenever sometimes Jesus is like, why are you running from that? Engage with it. Engage. Don't, don't, be, don't be a punk, okay? Don't, don't yell at people. But realize that it's coming and engage with it. So how do we respond to persecution? Should we fight it? Right? Should we pick up our guns and go in the streets and... Do we succumb to it? Do we just let it happen and become weak? You can go read in history about how churches, you know, in Germany and different places, whenever there was pressure and there was persecution institutional, institutionally against the church, that some churches bowed and some churches began to go with the flow. They began to go with whatever the legal system would allow them to do. And many times it, it eventually, of course, attacked doctrine, and so therefore they could not uphold biblical doctrine and remain and gather in, in public spaces. But there was always a remnant. There was also always a group of people that said, we're just not going to meet like that then. We're going we're gonna to go underground, or we're going to do this, we're going to do that, in order to continue to actually teach the word, in order to actually be the church, to be the remnant, to be the called out ones, not to be those who compromise. But I'm going to be honest, in my lifetime in America, and probably all of ours, obviously, we've never really came up against this. But I think in our lifetime that we're going to see some of this take place in America to some degree. And that's where a lot of the, the arguments are coming from today. Because what hill do you die on as the church? What hill? So whenever the... Um, pandemic hit and churches shut down. We're a year and a half away. I feel like I could talk about this now. 
there was a whole lot of conversations around church and whether churches should meet or not. And, you know, if, if, if the church really loved the community, that they would not meet. But if you're going to stand for the gospel and for truth, you're going to meet. And there was all this tension. And so there's one side of, of Christianity that's saying, you know, you're not really loving your neighbor because you're all meeting together and therefore you're risking everybody. And then the other side is like, you know, look at the, look at the numbers. And y'all, y'all know the whole situation. We've been, we're still living in it, y'all. I'm getting a little bit winded with all of it, to be honest with you. <laughs> but there was a tension and there was a divide that began to take place. And the church began to, the universal church began to come. And many people were like, this is it. This is it. This is persecution. And, you know, in some places, still today, if you guys are looking at the news, I mean, Australia and Canada, there's, there's certain things that have gone on that are absolutely insane. But so many people in Mississippi were like, what are we doing? When are we going to fight and stand? And, and I'm like, hey, like, we're actually meeting together. <laughs> we took some time off, but we're all together in the room. So like our governor's not making us have to, you know, I don't have a hill to die on right now. But what happens is we read all the news and everybody gets up in arms and it's like, no, no, it's time. It's like, no, it's, it's, not, it's not quite time yet. You know, whenever that time might come. I believe that we need to establish hills that we're willing to die on. I believe as the body of Christ, there are certain hills that we need to die on doctrinally. There are essentials and there are non-essentials. As a church here, we don't divide over non-essentials. We don't. We never have and we never will. There's a, there's a plethora of people in this room, politically, uh, financially, uh, 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 in regards to the, how you live your life. But there are, there are doctrinal things that we're going to hold fast to. And we will die on those hills. You know, and in that season, I had some hills that I was willing to die on as a pastor. If the church had to close and other certain types of businesses that gathered a ton of people together were able to stay open, we gathering. You know what I'm saying? Like, there, there's, there's lines. But sometimes, man, you know, you, you ever seen the, those war videos where, like, uh, you got the guy that's got the, the gun and, and things are going nuts, like, way far away, and he just, like, lifts up the gun over the shield and just goes, like, it's just, you know, he doesn't know where he's firing his bullets. That's how the church feels sometimes to me. It's just like, what are, we're just like shooting everybody, shoot. We don't even know where we're shooting. Let's get a sniper rifle out, out. you know what I'm saying? Let's be, let's be calm. Let's take some deep breaths, you know, because here's the deal. What we went through last year in regards to the stuff that I kind of just talked about, although I can see the pattern, and, and believe me, we could talk a long time about these things. We can't get antsy. We have to trust God. We have to let the peace that passes our understanding take hold of our hearts and our minds and remain sure in Jesus, y'all. Because if last year caused you to lose your sanity, then the next 20, I'm not sure where, how, how it's going to go for you. You know what I'm saying? I'm not, I'm not sure. We have to be ready for persecution. Jesus warns us, though. He actually was very straight up about it many times. John 15, 20. Remember the word that I said to you. 
He said, a servant is not greater than his master. These are big words. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Let that sink in. If they persecuted Jesus, they will persecute us. Right? It's hard to dodge it. So we know we're going to experience it. So here's the question that I want to end with today. How do we respond? How do we respond to persecution? What, and now I want to look at what the Bible says about this. Matthew 5, 12 is the first thing I want to read. Jesus said this, rejoice and be glad. <laughs> Paul did this a lot too. Like the response, like he's building a case and all of a sudden the, the, the response that he gives us is like, that makes no sense. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so, again, he repeats himself all over the place. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. He's like, they persecuted the prophets before you. They're going to persecute you. They're persecuting me. They're going to persecute you. Don't be surprised. He says, rejoice and be glad. I, I want to also refer to 1 Peter. It's a few verses as we come to the end of the message. It says this. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? If you're zealous for what is good, if you hunger and thirst after righteousness, come on, you're zealous for what is good, for what is righteous. Who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, if, if you do, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Don't panic. Don't become chaotic. Don't fear. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, so when it comes, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Whenever you read these verses, I don't know if it does it for you, but does, does something inside of you just like take a deep breath? Do you feel the confidence, not your own confidence, but do you feel confidence in God that begins to kind of well up inside of you whenever you hear these words? The word of God is alive. It's alive and it cuts through all the drama. It cuts through all the opinions. It, it, it threads the needle. It shoots the gap and it says what needs to be said for us to stand. He says, if you suffer for doing good, you may, you may not. There's a few things that you need to respond with, proper ways to respond. So church, how do we respond to persecution? Number one, we prioritize Jesus above anyone else. We don't fear people. He says, he says have no fear of them, but honor, your, honor, honor Christ, the Lord is holy. We have got to prioritize Jesus above everybody else. We've got to prioritize God's opinion about things before our own or before other people's. 
whether or not it, it, it matches culture, whether or not it makes complete sense to everyone else. This is what the word of God says. This is what we hold fast to. So we prioritize Jesus. Number two, we speak to people out of love, gentleness and respect. Now, this is something that doesn't just apply to people that are outside of the faith, people that are outside the kingdom of God. We should speak to everyone, including those that are sitting to your right and your left, Amen. with gentleness and respect. We have a diverse church. We're going to see things differently. We embrace that here, okay? We don't have diversity of doctrine in regards to literally like who Jesus is, okay? That's, that, we're not going to like compromise on that. But there are different perspectives. There are different ways of looking at things and we are supposed to treat one another with gentleness and respect. However, when it comes to those who don't know Jesus, we are to approach them with gentleness and respect. We gotta love people. And sometimes you're gonna get it right and sometimes you're gonna get it wrong. But you don't begin to build some sort of justification system around your poor response. You know what I'm saying? Well, I'm just harsh, that's just the way I am. Oh, maybe you should, be gentler, you know? Well, this is just the way that I talk. Well, maybe that's not the best way to do it. Maybe we should receive what the word is saying here and receive correction. Number three, live righteously. Consistency is something that outpaces a lot of seasons of life or, 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 or um, uh, New ways of looking at things or doing things. Consistency. And people want to follow consistent people. If somebody says they believe a certain thing, their lifestyle should match that, right? Because people want to follow and be around people that live consistently. And we could do that with a good conscience, he says. Do it with a good conscience. Have a good conscience. And he says that your behavior eventually puts people to shame. Your good behavior. I'm not talking about, you know, pride or I'm not talking about all that kind of stuff. I'm talking about just genuinely living righteously. Did you guys know that eventually Jesus has the last word? Just because we see something happening a certain way today does not mean that God has lost the war. Okay? We, uh, we, we gave quite a bit of money. It was actually about $40,000 a couple of months ago to the church in Afghanistan. And uh, by the way, I don't know if you guys are, you know, following on social media, but uh, there has been many people that World Compassion has gotten out of Afghanistan using the money and the resources coupled with other churches to help people, literally Christians, get out of Afghanistan. So we might not... I said this a couple of weeks, a few weeks ago. We might not be able to be so public with all the information because it is sensitive, but I want you to know that, that people are still getting help, which is incredible, and it, it's, it's great. But there's some who have chosen to stay. They've chosen to stay, knowing what danger it puts them in. And they've chosen to stay and to live righteously in front of people for the kingdom of God. It's incredible. And similarly, as the church today, we are called to do the same thing. It might look different, but we are called to live righteously, y'all. Live righteously. 
The next thing is that we are to suffer well. Suffering for good may be God's will. He said it's, it's better than suffering for evil. So if we suffer for righteousness sake, at least we're suffering for something that matters. At least we're suffering for the cause of Christ and not some temporary cause that doesn't have eternal value, right? And, and listen, we're gonna believe in things that might not be, cons- you know, righteousness sake. And, and there's a lot of good things that we should stand for. I, I don't wanna like deplete those things. However, at, like when we're talking about for righteousness sake, whenever the day comes where if we read scripture, bad things happen to us, we have to count it all joy. We have to realize that we are suffering for the cause of Christ, that we are suffering for what is good. And the last thing came out of the last verse that we read out of Matthew, which is rejoice and be glad. Rejoice and be glad. The only way that you can rejoice and be glad whenever you encounter persecution is if you have the right perspective in that. And you know why you believe what you believe, that you are, that you are strong in your faith, that you're not wavering, and that you know that God has the end in mind no matter what today looks like. So today, a little bit different way of ending a series. Didn't have a ton of amens, not a ton of jokes. It's just kind of the way these things go. But can I be real with you? These are the messages. These are the things that we need to have instilled in us so that we are aware of what's going on around us. So that we know that our feet are firmly planted. If the things that I talked about today uh, plants fear in your heart, fear, then I think this is a good moment that we can respond and ask God to help us in our perspective in that. But also, it might be kind of bringing to the surface the fact that, man, do I really believe what I say I believe? Are my feet firmly planted in Jesus? Or, or is my feet just firmly planted in kind of like a church setting? Because honestly, this don't cost much. It, it, it don't, man. And this is good. I believe in the gathering of the believers. I believe that whenever people come together and, and in many different ways that it's, it's good, right? I, I believe in that. But I believe that the day is coming that it's gonna become more and more difficult for that to take place. And we've just gotta have those conversations now. Jesus had the conversations. He let us know what's up. And, uh, and I think we need to be aware of that.